0: Good morning. I hope that you take to heart our brother Shay's um, encouragement to you to pray through this uh, pastoral search prayer guide. I know that uh, this, this sits right on my coffee table, right next to my, my chair that no one else is allowed to sit in. Um, and I, each day when I read my Bible and pray, that's what I, I pray through this, uh, one section each day. And uh, Deb and I have had the privilege of seeing what can happen when uh, a church really uh, seriously prays for a new pastor. And I mean, humbly, thoroughly, you know, honestly, uh, faithfully prays for a new pastor. In God's right time, he brings men who can deeply bless a church. And I know that's going to happen here, so I just want to, I, didn't ask, I was going to ask Shay before I came up here, but, oh, there he is. Where are these found? Right out front here. Right out front. Just grab one. Just put it wherever you read your Bible, wherever you pray, and, and do that every day. I know the search committee uh, will appreciate it, and I will appreciate it, and the entire church will appreciate it. All right, if you have a Bible with you, go to ch- uh, the eighth chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8. This is where I left off two weeks ago, um, going through the book of Hebrews. And uh, we are going to be at the very, very tail end of chapter 7 today, and then through the rather short chapter, not short in meaning, but short in volume chapter of Hebrews chapter 8, which has 13 verses. Hebrews chapter 8, um, Father God, this word does not need improving at all, and uh, that's one thing we need to understand, we don't need to make it better, it is better, it's, it's your truth, it's been given to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and what I pray this morning, Lord, is that you would just um, talk to us in ways that We need to hear, Um, both for uh, um, conviction and comfort and direction and encouragement. We need to hear from you, Lord. We come here to hear from you. Um, There are millions upon millions of people that are sitting home doing something else. We came here to hear from you. We need and want. To hear from you and we thank you that you're going to speak to us in a way that maybe we never intended before we came in here today thank you father for just caring about us and giving us your word and we just listen to you now in Jesus name amen well if you had done what I did this week and uh, typed in uh, the words new covenant church and googled that new covenant church online, you would have discovered what I did. Many, dozens, and then probably hundreds, and if I had kept going, thousands of churches who have put the name New Covenant in their church. Anybody ever go to a church that had New Covenant in it? Okay, one individual back there. There are thousands of Churches with the name New Covenant Church. I, I just For just a few that I saw, there was a New Covenant Christian Church, New Covenant Community Church, New Covenant Bible Church, New Co- the best one here, New Covenant Baptist Church I saw there. Seriously. I mean, there's all kinds of New Covenant churches. Why is that? Why do so many churches around in our country and around the world contain the name New Covenant in their church? Well, simply because the new covenant mentioned in the New Testament that we're going to talk about today is one, if not the most, or should be, the most precious thing to a Christian in the entire Bible when we understand what it is. The new covenant is the most precious thing to a Christian when they understand what it really is. You know, Jesus even mentioned the new covenant before the church even was birthed in the book of Acts. In Luke chapter 22, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood when he celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Okay, and so the writer to the Hebrews spends the bulk of his time in Hebrews chapter 8 talking about Jesus, our wonderful new covenant high priest, And telling these believers, these, for the most part, not totally, but for the most part, Jewish believers, Jewish Christians in the small little church in Italy, that they were now part of a new covenant. And the smartest thing that they could do is stick with it. Because what they had before in the old covenant can't compare to what they have now in the new covenant. And I would go further. And I know I could speak for myself. I don't know if I can speak for you guys. But what I have now in the new covenant in Jesus way outweighs what I had before I became a Christian. There wasn't any activity, religious or secular, athletic, uh, academic. There was no activity that came even close to what I have in the new covenant in Christ. Are you with me this morning? Okay, some of you can remember back then. And you realize, if you go back to anything like that, religious, secular, or otherwise, it would be foolish. And that's what he's trying to tell them. I know, he says, I know life is hard. I know sometimes you're discouraged and depressed. I know sometimes people mistreat you. I know not everybody gives you a group hug when they find out you're a Christian. I know it's tough. And I know tough times may lie ahead. But stay with the new covenant. Don't even turn back to the old. Sound like 2021? It sure does to me. It really does. And so we're going to talk about the new covenant today and how awesome it is. And I just want to give it to you in a nutshell before we get into the the passage here. Um, The new covenant is mediated by our new high priest, Jesus Christ, and it's awesome. And this is what, again, this is what it is. Spiritually, speaking our old heart pre-christian and everyone that was born into this earth has a pre-christian heart right and whether you were raised in a christian family or not sometimes you don't think about that well i was raised in my in a christian family i I was brought up in the church but i want to tell you you had a pre-christian heart okay all of us did and that heart was unsaved it was it was dead spiritually it was unregenerated It was sinful. Okay? It was eternally separated from God. Think about it. Eternally separated from God. And then, in a moment of time, by the sovereign, predestinating, loving, caring, awesome God, in a moment of time, He cleansed you from your sin and made you a new creature in Christ. And He took you out of your sin. And if you were a Gentile, he took you out of your sin and into Christ. And if you were a Jew, he took you out of your sin and your bondage to the law and baptized you, so to speak, into Christ and made you a new creation and made you part of the new covenant. In fact, we celebrate that every month, don't we? Next week, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to do that. This is the new covenant in my blood. We'll hold up the cup, we'll drink it, And we'll do what we ought to do on a regular basis of whatever kind God leads us. Celebrate the fact that we're now part of the new covenant, not the old one. And as I said, one of the threads that winds its way through Hebrews is that this writer is trying to tell these guys, don't go back. I know times are going to get tough. I could be speaking of 2021, 22, 23, 24, 25. We don't know what's ahead for Christians. Times could get a little bit, a little bit intense, but don't give up. You're part of the new covenant. Don't go back to an old covenant. No matter how easier it is, he's telling them that. And so he talks about the better new covenant in Christ, and that's what we're gonna do today. The better new covenant in Christ is the title of our message. And what we're gonna talk about is this, that the better new covenant in Christ provides us with three things. Three things that are so precious, so valuable, Uh, that they literally transform our life, not just the moment when we're born again, but every single what? It's not a hard question. Every single day. So when you walk out today, here's what I want you to walk out with. I am going to celebrate the new covenant every single what? Day. And then you'll know you're on the right track. You come in here this morning going, you know, I don't know if I'm on the right track all the time. I don't know if I'm reading or studying or praying or doing this or that for the Lord uh, the right way all the time. If you celebrate the new covenant every day, you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. Number one, the better new covenant in Christ. The better new covenant in Christ provides us with perfect atonement for our sins. That's the foundation. And I know we talk about it a lot when we go through the book of Hebrews, but it is the foundation for um, the new covenant for our Christian lives. Look at verses. Again, we're going to go at the tail end of 7 and then into the first few verses of chapter 8. Excuse me. 723. Now, there have been many of those priests, Levitical priests, since death has prevented them from continuing in office. In other words, they keep dying, so they keep having to bring on more Levitical priests. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. What a statement. He always lives to intercede uh, for them. Who's them? Yeah, that's right. Very, oh, I love that. You guys are right on top of that. Them is you. You. Hang on to this, it's going to get good. Jesus always lives to intercede for you in more ways than one, as we'll see here. But I want to go to chapter 8. The point of what we're saying is this we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and I'll stop there. Okay? Jesus is perfect, he always intercedes for us. Okay? In fact, The statement of his perfection is in verse 26 and following of chapter 7. He's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all. Once for all. And he always lives to make intercession for us. Now, what I want to concentrate on here is a statement in verse 1 of chapter 8. Because I did this at the very first message of Hebrews. And here it comes again. Jesus atoned for our sins. And it says that he rose from the dead. He sent it to the right hand of the Father. And here it is. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God, the place of honor honor in glory and blessing. Now sat down is significant we've mentioned because the Old Testament Levitical priests never sat down. They were always scurrying around making atonement for sins for people like you and me because we kept on sinning. But once Jesus did his perfect atonement, he sat down because it was done. It was finished. It was a done deal. I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 1 just quickly to look at that. I had so much fun with this when we preached it to start the series. But it says, um, In these last days he has spoken, verse 2 of chapter 1, He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. God made the universe through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's the visible representation of the visible God. He sustains all things by the power of His Word. He consists everything. And what did He do? He made purification for our sins, plural, past, present, and future. And then He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. That's what He meant when He said in John 19:30 It is finished. I'm sitting down. I'm done. It's over with. All the sin of all the people of all the world, past, present, and future, have been atoned for, and I'm sitting down. No three sweeter words could be said in the Bible. He sat down. You say, well, how come that's so sweet? Because when it comes to the sins of commission, the ones we commit, almost probably on a daily basis, or the ones we omit, sins of omission, we don't do what God tells us to do, The moment we we just acknowledge that we've done that, Jesus says, I sat down. It's done. They're all atoned for, okay? The first thing that you and I need to remember when we sin and fail, and when we face an accuser called Satan, is that Jesus sat down. That's the first thing we need to tell the devil. We need to say, he, he sat down. Go take a long walk off a short pier. You know, he sat down. Do you know what the only thing that we're supposed to do, and this is part of the New Covenant, the only thing, well, pretty much the only thing that we're supposed to do when we sin or fail is just confess. We don't need to atone for our sin. First John 1 and 9, I've used it before, and I've used the Greek word in there before to confess. If we uh, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess is a beautiful word that I love to talk about. It's the Greek word homologeo, to say the same thing. That's, all, that's what it means. It doesn't mean crawl on our knees on broken glass. It doesn't mean to, to flagellate ourselves with some kind of whip like they do in some countries to atone for their sins. It means, I did it. And that's where the period comes into the sentence. I did it. I did it. I did it. God, I'm sorry. I did it. And we don't go in there with a cavalier, kind of casual attitude and go, yeah, well, I did it again. Uh, If you want to do that with God, go ahead. But God will, that's not honoring to God. But when we do humbly say it, Lord, I said it. I thought it. I acted it. I didn't do what you told me to do. I I agree with you. That is, that's all, and the, and the father says Jesus sat down. He sat down. It's a great, great way to live. Charles Stanley, who recently retired at the age of 137, uh, no, he's really old. I mean, he preached right up to, wow. I really admire that guy. But he said this, conf- and I've said this before too, confession more than once is a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Okay, otherwise we're trying to add to Christ's atonement. The new covenant, the beauty of the new covenant that we're sitting here is that he sat down after purifying us of our sins. He sat down. He sat down. And that's something we ought to think about every time we fail. Because guess who's going to swoop in and try to accuse us over and over again? There you go again. Satan himself and his minions that he assigns to us to riddle us with guilt and with our weaknesses. He sat down. It's a battle, but it's a battle that we've won through Christ. Um, I read this. I don't know where I got this, but um, Satan, somebody said, Satan keeps trying to get us to pay for things that are already covered in the policy. He keeps trying to get us to pay for things that are already covered in the policy. I'm finding, as I get older, now that I'm 50, that um, <laughs> I'm finding you know you know what I'm finding? This is just a personal observation that the, the, the older I get, the farther back Satan reaches. <clears throat> Do you ever find yourself thinking about things 10, 15, 20? 25, 30, 35, 40, 50, 60 years ago? And you think, why am I thinking about that? Why am I thinking about what happened back in 2014 or 1990? Why am I thinking about those? That's long ago and far away because the enemy wants to keep you and I in bondage to the sins that Jesus already sat down for. I'm also finding that the, the, the older I get, the more picky he gets about the present. He just wants to bring up past failures and sins. The wonderful thing about the new covenant is, as we go into chapter 8 here, is that um, Jesus has atoned for all our sins. He's made a perfect atonement. Okay? The second th- thing the better uh, new covenant Christ provides for us is not just perfect atonement for our sins, but the better new covenant in Christ provides perpetual intercession for you and me from our perfect high priest. Now going back to 7.25 uh, again, it says He is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I, I don't think I'll ever get tired of saying that. Christ, the eternal Christ always lives to intercede for you and me, always. That's the great thing about his priesthood uh, in comparison to the human Levitical priesthood. They kept dying and having to be replaced and offering temporary sacrifices. They could never sit down in the tabernacle. Jesus, being the eternal son of God, made that um, atonement. He sat down. Sin is gone. All we need to do is agree the next time we, and we will, you know, I mean, it's just the way we are until we go to be with the Lord. We'll say something in anger or in frustration. We'll be critical or, 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 or be, you know, satirical. We, we, we'll, our eyes will wander where they shouldn't or our attitudes will go into the tank. We'll get snippy. We'll, we'll, we'll sin. We just say, as the Holy Spirit brings that to our attention, we say, I agree. Move on. Move on. Move on. That's what you're allowed to do. Why? Because you're a good, great person? No, because Christ sat down. Can I get an amen this morning? This is good stuff. Middle of July, you know. Okay, and then he makes perpetual intercession, not just perfect atonement. Now, there are two kinds of intercession that uh, Jesus makes for us, and I want to look at those uh, this morning. Um, first, though, look at verse two, in chapter eight. He—I'm going to put "he" instead of "who" in there. That's, I think that's fairly legitimate. And he, Jesus, serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Do you realize that right now? This is just, this is kind of gets this gets wild. Jesus is what's Jesus doing in heaven? A lot of times we think, well, he's on his throne on the right hand of the Father. Kind of looking out at all the angels, you know, controlling all the earth, moving history toward its appointed end. But you know what it says here? He's serving. And do you know who he's serving? You and me. I look, I don't, I only have a, a human tongue to talk about this. I it says here, he's serving in the sanctuary, Jesus is. The true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Jesus is in heaven serving who? You and me, okay? He's always living to make intercession for us. Okay, now let's look at verses three through six of chapter eight. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. That's the Levitical priest he's talking about. Also, have something, uh, and, and so it was necessary for this one, Jesus, also to have something to offer. Now, if Jesus were, were on earth, he would not be a priest. Why? Because he wasn't a Levite. Only Levites were priests. For there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and the shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, uh, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now that's when God showed Moses the pattern in Exodus 25 through 31 of the tabernacle that he wanted him to build. I don't know if he showed him a model or a picture or a vision. I really don't know, but he did. And that's what he patterned the tabernacle after. Okay, but then it says about Jesus... Uh, but the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, and we'll stop there, and I know that's an awkward place to stop, but Jesus has a ministry in a heavenly temple, and that is to make intercession for you and me all the time. I just, and what kind of intercession? Well, let's talk about that. Well, first of all, atoning intercession. We've talked about this perfect atonement. But guys, that perfect atonement just doesn't stop once he sits down, amen. It doesn't stop. Yeah, he's, 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 but it's continual all throughout our lives. Okay, all throughout our lives, it's continual. First John 2, 1 and 2. I've written these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have one that goes to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ the righteous when he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Again, in time, human time, I can't articulate this, but when you or I spiritually stub our toe and sin, there Jesus is before the Father making intercession for us. Don't ask me to... But aren't, aren't we special? Seriously? You say, Gee, I wonder if God thinks anything about me. I wonder if God considers me special. Well, every time you and I, you know, bomb, Jesus takes special time to, when we agree, to say, well, Father, you see that I have covered that child with my blood at Calvary, and they've agreed, and the Father says, you know, you're right. We did make that agreement, didn't we? Moving on. Every single time. Every single time. Who wants to convince us that that doesn't even exist? The devil and his minions assigned to us want to convince us that that doesn't even exist. But am I preaching the word or not? Amen. Amen. I'm preaching the word. You gotta argue with me, argue with this. He's in heaven, he's serving, and he's, by serving, he's intercessing, and by intercessing, he's intercessing on the basis of his blood before the heavenly Father each time we, we, be, we blow it. We just need to agree. What a wonderful thing. He ever lives to make intercession for us. But he does it in another way that I mentioned two weeks ago, and I want to mention it today because, you know, has anybody ever read the same book of the Bible another time and seen brand new stuff? I did that. I do that all the time, but I did that recently, and I just want to share it with you. Jesus doesn't make perpetual intercession in terms of his atonement, but he makes perpetual intercession in terms of his prayers for us. And I I mentioned that in Romans chapter 8, which I, I love, and I think we all love this when we're hurting and it says the spirit in the same way Romans 8:26 the spirit helps us in our weakness we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will and so I saw that word weakness, and I've experienced that lately, for the last sixty almost six years. And so have you. And do you know, Jesus prays for you wherever you're weak. If you're mentally weak or emotionally weak today, or physically weak or spiritually weak, we're told that the Spirit of God, who is in union with the Holy uh, Jesus, rather, very often. Uh, he's called the spirit of Jesus. One God, three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, the trinity, one separate, I mean, it's all there. And he is praying for, he's praying for you, apart from you. And in heaven, Jesus makes intercession for us with prayers for our weaknesses. He also prays for our unity in uh, John 17. I was reading uh, this week that Jesus says, Father, I pray for them, the church, that they would be one, that the world would see us as one. You don't want to be a person who harms the unity of a church because you're you're going against what God's praying for. But this is the one that got me this week. And if you have a Bible with your, it goes up on screen. I want you to go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. You may recall this from your study of the gospel of Luke. But notice what it says in Luke chapter 22. Remember this when Simon says, his chest is puffed out, I'll never, never, I'll never bail out on you, Lord. Did they, all of those, they might. Peter had that disease. He had foot and mouth disease, didn't he? He really did. He just, he would... And you got to admire Peter because he was an he was an all go for it you know guy. Yeah, Lord, I'm I'm going to come out in the boat and walk to you on water. Help, Lord, I'm sinking. I think where is next words. I'm not sure, but um, but listen to what he says in verse 31 in Luke 22. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Isn't that interesting? Simon, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, do you think Peter was the only one Jesus ever prayed for? I don't. In the unseen world, Jesus sees when we are headed for disaster. He sees when we're headed for failure and difficulties. And he even allows us to go through some of those things for reasons that we can't get into today. Many of you have gone through disaster and you've gone through difficulties and you've gone through failures and you've gone through uh, real stressful times. Some of you are in those times right now. And some of you have been, had tried to learn to live with the, the consequences of those. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you about that? Now, I want you to think about the fact that Peter needed to fail. You say, what? Yeah, Peter needed to fail. With his personality, he needed to be humbled. And everywhere, my opinion is, everywhere that Peter went for the rest of his life, he remembered that. He remembered saying, I wasn't going to bail out on Jesus, and I bailed out. And it kept him, what? Humble. Humble and depended on Jesus through Pentecost, through all the healings, through all the church plants, through all of the people that got saved. But you know what, brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever you've gone through, Jesus has prayed you and will pray you through that disaster, that difficulty, that that failure. He's praying for you. You say, well, how, how do I know he's praying for me? Well, think about what could have happened. See, we always think about what didn't happen. How about what could have happened? And so that's the beauty of the new covenant. We have a God who has made perfect atonement for our sin, and we have a God who perpetually intercedes for us when we fail in sin, and sin, he, and, and, he, and Jesus says, Father, they agreed, and the Father says, well, your atonement takes care of the rest. And then he he the second part of this wonderful new covenant is that he perpetually intercedes for our atonement and for and and, and prayerfully intercedes for us in heaven. You know what I did this week? This is the strangest thing. I'm learning so many new things, I'm embarrassed. You know, I'm supposed to know it all by now, you know. And I asked Jesus Christ to pray for me. Isn't that strange? I mean, we're supposed to pray to Jesus, right? Well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to pray about it. I got to pray about it. I just I need to pray. Well, and you're right. The Bible says, pray about it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We're supposed to pray. But I think we can't have permission to say, Jesus, will you pray for me now? Will you pray to the, just imagine what it'd be like to have Jesus pray for you in heaven because that's where he's doing it. That's where he's interceding. That's where he's praying. I had this big, long passage in um, Revelation chapter five, verses six through 14. I don't have time to read it. But it talks about the glory and the beauty and the thousands upon thousands and millions of angels and the elders and the, and, and the, the seraph and the cherubim and the, the glory of heaven, and to know that there Jesus hears our prayers and prays for us. And in the earlier part of that passage, it says that he hears the prayers of the saints. Pretty amazing. That's what we get when we're part of the new covenant. In verses 3 through 6, um, he says that there is a earthly co- uh, tabernacle, but we get to share in the heavenly tabernacle. And by the way, Revelation 3.21 says we're going to join him there on his throne pretty soon in heaven, which is awesome. So what's so great about, can you imagine these Jews going, you know, that, this is pretty good deal. Why would I go back? Just because Society doesn't like me anymore. My neighbors, they frown at me with disapproval because I'm one of those Jesus freaks. My friends at school, they, they kind of roll their eyes when they go by me because I'm not, I'm religious. I don't go out and party like they do. And, you, and, and, and that temptation to just say, well, you know what, I just rather, I'm tired of this, just disappears into thin air when you realize that because of this new covenant, okay, because of this, co- this new covenant, we have perfect atonement. All we have to do is agree because Jesus sat down, no matter what, in a humble way, we do. And because we have perpetual intercession to, to, to vouch for us when we sin and to, uh, and to pray for us when we are weak, or need unity in the church or or face disaster, failure, or difficulties and pray for us to get to get uh, through them. And then the last one here today I want to talk about. The third part that makes the, the new covenant so much better. The better new covenant in Christ provides for us, thirdly, powerful indwelling. A powerful indwelling of the divine law through the Holy Spirit. Look at look at verse the last uh, 6 or 7 verses. We'll start in verse uh, 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. So the new covenant's way better, is what he's saying. Um, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Another. Something wrong with the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. Something was wrong with it. Do you know what was wrong with the Mosaic Covenant? Us. Us. Us was what was wrong with the Old Covenant. It was a conditional covenant, not like the Abrahamic and Noahic and, uh, what was the other one? Davidic Covenant. Those were unconditional covenants. The the. The Mosaic covenant, the old covenant, was conditional. You read it. If you do these things, he said to the Israelites and ultimately to us, then I will do this thing. But if you don't do these things, then you're in trouble. And guess what we did? We didn't do all the things. Why? Because that perfect law, when pushed up against our imperfect flesh, our mortal, sinful human flesh, reveals our sin. It doesn't heal our sin. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says, the power of sin is in the law. We're great until someone draws a line and says, don't step over it. When we see a sign on a park bench that says, wet paint, do not touch. Now, i got to touch that wet paint. I just have to. Why? Because there's a sin principle in the flesh and still there and will be there till Christ returns and gives us our new bodies. And so we all fall short of the Mosaic covenant and of God. But the new covenant, he's telling us to Jews, but he's telling us to us too. The new covenant means God just doesn't give you a list of rules. He radicalizes you with a powerful indwelling. Let's look at it here. Verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. Okay, we, I just explained that. And it's saying the time is coming, and these are two, this is a prophecy coming right out of Ezekiel 36 and, Ezekiel, and uh, Jeremiah 31 to the Jews. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. They sinned. And I turned the, a, away from them, declares the Lord. Now here's the new covenant. Last three, three, four verses. This is the new covenant I will make with the house of Israel and ultimately with all people who believe, Jew and Gentile alike. It will be completed in the Jewish people before and when Christ returns. The Jews, God's not done with the Jews. Did you know that? No, you didn't know that? No, he's gonna graft them back in, believe me. For the most part, this is for Gentiles, but it's also for a remnant of the Jews. He says, this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel. So this is a now and not yet thing. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man, his brother, saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me the least from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one, the mosaic, old, Ten Commandment covenant, obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. It's 80-70 technically it was when that was torn down by uh, the Emperor Titus. Okay, so I've talked about the problem of the Mosaic Covenant. I've talked about the prophetical. It's in Ezekiel and Jeremiah. But why is it so powerful for these believing Jews? And why should they not leave it? And why should we not let anything in terms of society or our own personal problems or tragedies or difficulties cause us to bail out of the, our walk with God because it's so powerful, several ways. Verse 10 says it's internal, not just external. Paul says in Romans 8 4 the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from that law of sin and death. It's not religion, okay? Christ is living in me. The law keeper came through, within, through the new covenant. The law keeper came to live inside of me. I have got the supreme, eternal, living law keeper living in my spirit. Christianity is Christ in and through me. It's awesome stuff. 2 Corinthians 3.3, what what does Paul tell us? That's kind of a fascinating verse here. I'm going to skip back to that. 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Does that happen to be upstairs on the, up, up, upstairs, up on the screen? Is that up there? 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, is it? You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The spirit of the living God has written on your heart, the law of God through Jesus Christ. You walk around with the commandments of God in your heart, Because Jesus lives in your heart, and he perfectly kept them. That's powerful. It's internal. And it's a high, second thing, it's a high level of relationship. Okay, he says, I will be their God, verse 10, and they will be my people. Not only will he put his law within our hearts and minds, I will be their God, and they will be my people. I'll be a resident of their heart, a helper, teacher, comforter, friend. My wife was telling me, Debbie was telling me, she, said, she says, I don't know if it was original with me or, or, um, or something I read, but she said, because we were talking about this, and she said, this is what I read, and I thought, I think you'd like this. And I said, well, well tell me. And she said, in, this person said, in Christ, we have a forever backstage pass to God. In Christ, we have a... Forever backstage pass to God. Anybody here ever have a backstage pass to a concert? Nobody. One person. I never did. But man, I used to hear. Oh yeah, we had a backstage pass, man. We could say that all the time because we have access to eternal God all the time because of the new covenant. We're baptized into Christ, and we have a deep knowledge of Him. He says in verse eleven. Because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. It's not a hierarchy or an elites up here and peons down here. We all have, a, 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 we all have the privilege of knowing God. I've been, dis- I discovered. Boy, time goes by when you're preaching so fast. I am almost done, but um, I was. I just, this is so cool because I've been. Sometimes I get up in the middle of the night I can't sleep and there's been a guy on TV that preaches, teaches the Bible and I thought, this guy is good. I really like him. He's, he's, just, he's a rancher in Oklahoma and he looks every bit the rancher. Doesn't I He mean, dresses, you know, just kind of like we do at Cedar, here at Cedar, on casual. Never gone to Bible school. Never gone to seminary. Preach, teaches through the Bible and he's good. And I told Debbie, I'd rather have I'd rather listen to this guy than those guys on TV with cotton candy hair and patent leather shoes, you know, and jumping around and talking about their huge cattle ranches and airplanes and literally. Yeah, you laugh, and it is tragically funny. but And all these, all of the social or, or, or uh, health and wealth prosperity guys, I'd rather listen to this guy. Never had even a Bible, nothing. He, you know how he learned the Bible? He it. Yeah, he read it. And, and he is so good. And I told Debbie, I'd like to be like that guy. He knows the Bible so much better than I do. And that's what it's saying here. It's saying, you know, it's not for a privileged few. You can get to know God. They'll know me from the least to the greatest. And then it says in verse 12, that the new covenant offers us permanent forgiveness. Again, remember, always remember. Remember, remember, remember. When you, the next time you, you know, you, maybe you don't live up to the, to the way you know the Lord wants you to. However, I'm not into lists. I'll let the Holy Spirit do his job on you and me. Just remember, he sat down. Can you say it with me? He sat down. It's over. Just agree. Just agree. Don't do penance. Just agree. Okay. This is us. And, and this is why we're so privileged to be believers. And, and then it goes, and I want to conclude with a couple of statements here. Was that an applause when I said I'm going to conclude? I thought I, thought I heard somebody clap. Okay. Um, Kent Hughes, one of the commentators that I use, he really put this well. In, it's just a couple sentences, but I thought, oh, this is really cool. He says, now let us put it all together. Approaching on the wings of angels, we observed a superior priesthood. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The heartbeat of the universe pulses with radiant light, on his emerald throne beside the Father and the Spirit. He is surrounded closely by the four fiery living creatures and the thrones of the 24 elders. Around the crystal sea are myriads singing his praise and yet there, seated amidst his glory, he, Jesus, serves us. Wow. He serves us as he prays for you and me. Can we believe it? We're in the new covenant. We're in the new covenant. And, and, and what we ought to do when we walk out today is to say, dear Father, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm going to live in the new covenant today and tomorrow and the next day. Okay? Not just, um, how would you say it? Not just, religious rules, but in the new covenant, in the perfect atonement of Christ, the perpetual intercession of Christ, the powerful indwelling of Christ. That's how I'm going to live my Christian life. Not just a grocery list of behavioral systems and formulas, rules and regulations and rituals, but the new covenant in Christ. That's how I'm going to live. And that is so much better than anything the world can have to offer. Amen? It just so is. The more I'll watch the news or, or, or stuff on TV, and I call it stuff and I'm being kind, um, the more I realize the world has nothing on Christians. It's nothing. It's dead. It's moldy and crummy and dirty and temporary. We have the new covenant in Christ. Let's live in that new covenant every day. And if you're not a Christian here this morning or online, if you're watching, the promise of the new covenant, all this can be yours in Christ if you ask him to come in to your heart, if you repent of your sin, ask him to come in to your heart to forgive you of your sin and you make him your Lord and your Savior and you become a follower of his and you turn from that old dead sinful you, and turn to a new you in Christ. You can be in the new covenant until he returns. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your new covenant. We're all sitting here, and it's kind of like we're royalty. I mean, spiritually, we're royalty. We're royalty because we have someone who sat down and finished the job for our sins so we don't have to. And we have someone who's there making intercession, perpetual intercession, to cover for our failures and to pray for our disasters and our weaknesses and our unity and our relationships and, then, and who will hear our prayers and pray for us. And then for the powerful indwelling. Thank you. Thank you for the new covenant that we get to hear about in the book of Hebrews. We, we adore you. We thank you and we just walk out here saying, I want to live with all my heart in the reality of the new covenant. And all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed.